Everybody, welcome to our Week in Review. I am Stephan Cox, along with the chair of the King County Democrat, Shasti Conrad. Hello, Shasti. Hi, Stefan. And also managing partner of Left Wing Digital, Will Casey. Hello, Will. Always good to talk to you, Stefan. Likewise, my brother. So uh, listen, you guys, I got to get something off my chest and we'll get to the news in a second. I just want to gripe. Um, I got fooled again by fake spring and I'm not happy. <laughs> uh, and I just say, gang, for, for those of you not in Western Washington, so fake spring is this thing that happens every late February. We get like two or three days of sun. You think it's spring. You put the shorts on and then all of a sudden just boom, the monoquad is back. You go back to doom and gloom. So I'm not only pissed about fake spring, I'm pissed at myself for like buying it, for getting fooled like every year. Shasti, help me out. I'm sure you're less gullible than I am, right? I, I wish I could say that, but I totally was like, we did it. We made it through winter. I think we're going to be okay, everybody. And then I, yesterday, this morning, I was like, oh, no. It, nope. Uh-uh, fooled again. <laughs> what about you, Will? Oh, I mean, I am still a new, uh, relatively new Washingtonian. So I was like all excited. I was bragging to my roommate. I was just like, oh, we can finally go running again. This is going to be great. And then I woke up this morning and the world is just like, uh, no, it's, it's, it's still, it's still, you know, going to be like this until June. So fortunately, I have a real grudging love of like gray and rain and stuff like that. I just like a little variety. So anyway, yeah. so yeah, we're, we're, you know, it'll be back in June. Don't worry, gang. You know, <laughs> we only have to wait another like eight weeks. All right. So uh, let's jump into the news. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about progressive taxation because it, it, it seems to be having a genuine moment right now here in Washington, where we have the most regressive tax system in the nation. There are several taxation bills that have made it out of committee in the state legislature for the very first time. And we're going to be talking about that with the strangers, Rich Smith, in the second half of the show. But there there is also a big sweeping bill happening at the federal level. This is called the Wealth Tax Act. This is sponsored by Elizabeth Warren in the Senate and then by Brendan Boyle and Pramila Jayapal. Hey, we know that name in the House. Uh, well, let's start with you. What can you tell us about this bill? Uh, well, so this is a, a proposal to tax total net worth, not just people's income, right? So you're normally probably used to paying your taxes at the end of the year. Um, you know, you might be getting a little bit of money back. You might have to pay a little bit, depending on, you know, sort of what your circumstances are. But this is, you know, not just looking at income that people have, you know, acquired in a given year. This is about the wealth that, you know, those at the very, very top are hoarding from us. So, you know, this is about going after the Fabergé eggs and the Rembrandts, not just uh, CEO stock options. And, you know, at a time when working people are struggling to make ends meet, you know, because of the pandemic, it's not their fault. Um, we really just can't be rewarding folks who already have more wealth than their great grandkids will ever spend. Well, yeah. And one of the the, the designs uh, in this is to help close the wealth gap that was brought about by the pandemic, because uh, the rich got a hell of a lot richer during the pandemic. Can you tell us some of those numbers? Because they're jaw dropping. Yeah, yeah. This is this is enough to, to get you out of bed in the morning. Um, in the 11 months since the start of the pandemic lockdowns, um, total wealth for billionaires in the United States has increased $1.3 trillion um, or 44%. So let's, you know, just for scale, the entire COVID relief package that the Senate is now negotiating, that's $1.9 trillion. This is $1.3 trillion. Um, so over those same 11 months, um, 73 million Americans lost jobs. 25 million caught the coronavirus and half a million have died. 
So uh, yeah, just a little bit of, of quantifying the the injustice that's happening in our economy right now. Yeah, it's totally uh, sobering and enraging. And uh, we know at least two residents here in our state who have benefited mightily um, from the conditions of the pandemic. Shasti, I'm just going to ask you, why do you think that progressive taxation is is finally being discussed right now in a very serious way? What is it about this moment, do you think? Well, I think the pandemic has really laid bare that there is no such thing as a self-made billionaire. And in fact, there really should not be billionaires. That should not be something that we have when you have the type of, um, you know, wealth disparities and inequalities that we ha- that we have. Um, I was just pulling up. There was a, a tweet that was passed around uh, earlier this week that in 2009, Jeff Bezos had six point eight billion. That's the in one I was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred and eighty four billion dollars. And Mark Zuckerberg in 2009, two billion dollars in 2020, one hundred and three billion dollars. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, you know, there's this whole sense of like, I think people feel like they want to put people up on pedestals and it's like, oh, they've worked so hard for that. But the people who are actually really working hard are those people that are essential care workers who are working in the grocery stores who have fed our families for this past year. And so we just have to like, that's the solidarity that we have to have is with those folks. When as a reminder, the minimum federal minimum wage has remained the same decade after decade after decade while these folks have just added to their net worth. And it's it's just, it's gross. And I think people are finally seeing that we can't continue on this track. It's it, we, we have to do something different. And I'm proud to see it happening, you know, at the federal level and Congress led by Pramila Jayapal, and also here led by Representative Noel Frame in the Washington state legislature. Yeah. And we actually did a segment on the pod with her. If anybody wants to go back and check that out, it's phenomenal. And we will be talking about her wealth tax bill here stateside uh, in the second half, like I say, with Rich Smith. Um, you know, Will, one of the challenges of this wealth tax bill, the, the federal one, is the fact that the ultra wealthy have historically been very, very adept at evading things like paying taxes on their wealth. So talk a little bit about how the Warren Jayapal bill makes sure that they pay. Well, I, I want to start first with, uh, you know, just a recognition that we are able in some circumstances to get the the very, very wealthy in this country to follow the rule of law. I mean, Jeff Bezos just had to document uh, his entire net worth when he went through a divorce case here in, uh, you know, King County at the Superior Court. <laughs> so if a state court can get him to actually, you know, do an audit of his assets um, for that reason, I'm sure that the IRS uh, can get the job done. But just to make sure that they have the money to do it, the Jayapal Warren bill uh, includes $100 billion to invest in rebuilding and strengthening the IRS, um, which makes sure the agency has their resources to hire and train additional personnel, modernize their IT systems, you know, build uh, new asset valuation processes, report out to you know Congress on these things, and also make sure that you know enforcement requirements for this bill are met. Um, they also include a 30% minimum audit rate for taxpayers that are subject to the ultramillionaire tax. That's what they call their bill, the wealth tax. Um, and I think that that's actually the most important out of this whole situation because currently the IRS is actually spending more resources auditing people who get the earned income tax credit to make sure that they are actually following through on the work requirements than they are you know, auditing people who would qualify for this ultramillionaire wealth tax. Um, and so I think that that is just a fundamental misordering of priorities. Uh, and so I think that that, uh, you know, as any bill that involves Elizabeth Warren and, and Pramila Jayapal, it's extremely well thought out. And they've you know made sure to close all the loopholes that, uh, you know, uh, the extremely wealthy might try to use 
to uh, get out of this. And, and then finally, I think um, they've also come up with a 40%, what they call an exit tax um, on the net worth of anyone who qualifies um, under this bill, which is a, a threshold of $50 million, just in case anyone in the audience was worried they might have to pay it. Um, you know, if you've got 50 million laying around, I, I think you're going to be okay. Um, so in case someone tries to leave the country and say like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, uh, migrate to Liechtenstein or something, um, you know, we're going to claw back 40% of those assets before they leave. So. I love the fact that Elizabeth Warren and Pramila Jayapal have thought like rich people, uh, ultra wealthy people <laughs> in all of yes. this. Because it's like, yeah, oh, you're a citizen of Turks and Caicos now? Okay, cool. That's fine. But we'll take 40%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, th- this is what I, I, I can't wrap my head around. And maybe you guys can help me with this. The wealth tax is aimed at only 100,000 of the wealthiest families in America, which means that by my math, and somebody can correct me here because I was definitely not a math major, but that means 0.0003% of the population will be impacted. So it should have broad support, but it is still not expected to pass. Will, I'll just ask you, and then Shasti, I'm going to ask you as well. What do you think the problem is here? Well, I mean, frankly, I think the problem is that just, you know, we are too afraid of using our own power, right? I think that, you know, there's this constant drumbeat of, you know, being afraid of quote unquote democratic overreach when, you know, we watched uh, the Republicans basically face no accountability, um, you know, at the presidential level anyway, um, for giving trillions of dollars in in unfunded tax cuts uh, to, you know, the wealthy and and big corporations. Um, And, you know, they... We just barely, I mean, they, they did basically everything on Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell's wish list. And, uh, you know, we just barely got the Senate back and, uh, you know, lost seats in the House. So I think, you know, there's clearly a, a separation here between what people in D.C. think the voters care about and, you know, what voters actually care about. Um, but until we, you know, figure out that problem, it's, it's going to be slow going here for a lot of these important uh, pieces of legislation. I'm just going to broaden that question to you, Shasti, and and just take a 30,000 foot view. Why do you think passing progressive taxation generally is so difficult in this country? I think, you know, to Will's point, I think that, you know, there is this this sort of American myth of we're all about to just be millionaires. You know, we're all about to be, we're on the verge of it. Um, there's a Steinbeck quote of like, you know, that people, poor people in America see themselves not as an exploited proletariat, but as temporarily embarrassed millionaires. And that like they're, they're on the verge. And I think that was a lot of what the allure was with Donald Trump is that, you know, it was like, hey, like, I'm like, I could be him someday if I just, you know, I, I read his 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 lame book or I watch one of his stupid shows, then, you know, like, I'm next. And so people think about, like, well, aspirationally, when I get there, I, you know, I, I will have worked hard for it and I don't want anybody to take what's mine, not recognizing that, like, they are in the moment, be, everything's being taken from them, like, you know, um, middle class working working class folks are are being like just ripped apart from how much uh the government and really the wealthy are are uh, benefiting off of their their labor um and they're paying they're paying i mean i always think of like what warren buffett would say about how his secretary paid more in taxes than he did um and you know i think that we have to move away from this idea too that billionaires are job creators um, I think people are really um, uh, attached to this idea that we we need billionaires to be able to provide jobs. And it's that kind of like it's just uh, it's 
it's patriarchal and it's it, it it doesn't work it's not it's not true and i think those of us here in washington state particularly in king county know that like jeff bezos hasn't done anything for this like city to make it better in fact you know it is directly amazon has directly contributed to i think the housing and homelessness crisis that we are in um, right now. And so I think that that is why it's like we have to break up this idea that we need these people and that like they're looking out for us. They're not. They are. We know that they are looking out just for themselves and it's time to hold them accountable. That reminds me of two things. And I believe it was Paul Ryan who referred to makers and takers. And then also uh, Bernie Sanders idea of corporate welfare. I think we treat our we treat our corporations and our billionaires uh, much more uh, beneficently than we do uh, our working class in this country. And, you know, I'll just ask you, Shasti, I wonder if any of this has to do with the dynamics of the Democratic Party itself. I saw a great uh, tweet by Ellie Mistal, who writes for uh, Mother Jones, among others, and she said, Dems win power. Moderate Dems refuse to let Dems use power. Dems lose power. Moderate Dems blame progressives for being too radical. Lather, rinse, repeat. And I'll, I'll just ask you, do you have any insight into how we as progressives can break that cycle? Well, I think, you know, I mean, it starts with winning elections, but like, I mean, we have to keep pushing on the type of Democrats that we are electing. Um, you know, uh, I I woke up angry <laughs> this morning because I saw that Chris Coons and, you know, like uh, Shaheen and like, you know, this Delaware and New Hampshire, which are safely Democratic states. And those both senators <laughs> from Delaware and New Hampshire didn't vote to support raising the federal minimum wage. And it makes me, I mean, really, it's like, you know, I've just been keep thinking about those of us who worked so hard to win elections and get people into office. And then they get there and they fail us. They forget us. They forget the people who helped them get there. And that is the pressure that I think, like, you know, Indivisible has been so excellent at, at, at creating, is that we have to keep that up. And we have to remind them that they represent us that they are there because of us. And we have to make sure that we are putting forth people who are legitimate progressives and stop feeding this cycle that you just described of we let people believe that like their seats are, are, are at stake if they do anything. And instead it's like your seats are at stake when you do nothing. Right. So that is the key. And it, I'm I'm done. I'm sick and tired of it. And I'm not willing to be quiet about it anymore. I'm glad that you brought up Indivisible as well, because I think a lot of people in Indivisible in a post-Trump environment, three words I do not tire of saying, uh, are, are sort of wondering of what is our role to play right now? And I think you absolutely hit on it. We It is our job right now to push the party to the left and really push them to action. Uh, so uh, well, I just will ask you as we kind of close out on this segment, um, if the wealth tax does not pass as and sadly as is expected not to, how do you think progressives can make the most of this moment? Well, I think this is a, a perfect moment for us to really capitalize on something, uh, capitalize on this as a messaging opportunity, right? Because I think that even the way that we talk to ourselves and even the way that you were just framing this, Stefan, of, you know, we need to push the party to the left. I think we have to get out of this sort of left-right dynamic because it implicitly asserts this conclusion that being closer to the center is good and being farther from the center is bad and extreme, when really what we're talking about here is like whether or not the policy positions that our elected officials are holding are sufficient to meet the moment that we're in. 
right? Because we've seen the Republican Party abdicate entirely, you know, the field of ideas. They do not have solutions whatsoever, right? So it's not really useful to talk about things in terms of a left-right dynamic when there's no right to compromise with, right? Like there's no one on the other side of the aisle who's interested in doing literally anything um, as every single House Republican voted against the COVID relief bill because, you know, they'd rather deprive uh, Joe Biden of the cover of bipartisanship than like actually help people who are in crisis. Um, and so we just have to start reframing things around like, are you proposing an idea that's going to do the thing or just like make it look like you're making some progress towards doing the thing? Right. And I think in, when it comes to, you know, having a just and equitable tax system, um, you know, this is a, a great place for us to start. And, you know, we need to win the messaging war so that when this comes up again, it's viewed as something that is, you know, common sense rather than, you know, a left or progressive idea. I like that framing a lot. Um, so listen, as I mentioned at the top, um, we have a number of progressive bills making the rounds here in the Washington state legislature, and they are all designed to help rebalance our tax system, which is famously the most upside down in the nation. Uh, and this means essentially that uh, the lowest earners spend uh, by some estimates, 13.3% of their income on sales and excise taxes compared with only 1.7% for top earners. So we keep taxing the people in our society who can least afford it. So to break all this down, we are going to say goodbye uh, to our friend Will here, and we are going to bring in our friend Rich Smith. He, of course, writes for The Stranger, and we are so glad to have him with us again. Rich, how are you, man? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Can I ask you, do you have any feelings about fake spring? Well, I didn't until you mentioned it, and then suddenly I was filled with a rush of uh, of feelings. But uh, yeah, I guess I feel betrayed um, on the one hand, but I also feel like, you know, I lived here for a little while. This is what the weather does during this time, and so I'm glad at least that the planet isn't lying to me. <laughs> Even if the weather is lying to you, yeah, then the planet is yeah, lying. The planet's that. doing its job. So and I'll ask you also the question that I posed at the at the top of the show, which is why do you think right now progressive taxation is having a moment, both nationally and here in Washington? Oh, I think part of the answer in, in Washington state is that we, uh, and maybe this is the answer nationally too, is just that after the pandemic, uh, there was a, a huge fear of a financial collapse and um, huge holes were being blown in the budgets. You know, the, the first revenue forecast in Washington um, said that we were going to have a nine billion dollar budget hole um, in the next budget, which goes over the course of two years. And I think that was enough. It was a large enough gap for people to be like, you know what, don't, don't we have a capital gains tax lying around somewhere that might help fill this, you know, start reaching for some more of these um, you know, proposals that have been in the works for a while. And um, also in Washington, I think there's kind of just increasing awareness that the of our lopsided tax system like you know i just we it's been in the newspapers for 20 years that washington has had the most regressive tax system this is not a new thing but kind of like what will was mentioning in the last um uh segment that it, it has just become kind of common sense that our tax system sucks and i think that that's sort of sunk in uh, at the right time this year i think but Rich, with like, you know, we have these Democratic majorities in the state legislature, you know, we elect these people to go and do this work. It's still so hard to get this passed. I mean, it's looking like it's not going to happen. Like, why do you think that is? I mean, <laughs> we have because the Democratic majority in the Senate, at least, is on tax issues is somewhat fake uh, or, or, or not quite there. Um, I think that 
you know, um, at least when it when it comes to getting some of these uh, taxes through the the Senate, uh, you can only lose uh, five uh, senators uh, before they're endangered. And uh, there's just a bunch of Democrats who aren't going to do it. Uh, and some genuinely there's cynical and non-cynical reasons for that. Some genuinely believe that taxing rich people or corporations is is bad for the economy. You know, Mark Mullet, for instance, is just he was a bank executive and he's just not going to raise taxes if he doesn't have to. He's just never he's happy saying that, you know. Um, uh, and I think a lot of it is personal relationships. I mean, we've got pretty good um, election laws that keep kind of uh, corruption via huge donations down. I mean, obviously, IEs exist and people feel beholden to corporations and stuff. But, you know, I think that a lot of the people who serve, uh, a majority of the people who serve in um, uh, in the Senate uh, come from industry, come from business. Their friends are in business. If they want to leave, you know, uh, the legislature at some point, they would like to maintain good relationships with people in business. I think a lot of that is um, uh, on, on the minds of some of these um, uh, politicians. And I also think that they don't, a lot of them, you know, even though they're Democrats, don't hang out with poor people. Like, they don't know what, like, they know deeply the pain of having to pay $7,000 worth of taxes on $100,000 worth of profit on something that they didn't do, like, for money that they didn't really make. They kind of feel that sting. But I don't think a lot of them just feel the sting, the daily grind of the grocery store worker, you know, who's like, four dollar raise is a life-saving you know thing to happen in your life like it's just like like whoo my year is fine like i don't think that they feel that a lot so i think that the, the mixture of personal belief and personal relationships influence th these these decisions a, a lot and the perception that uh people in their swing districts uh aren't going to want to tax the rich or, or would penalize them at the ballot box for not taxing the rich you were talking about uh, kind of the idea the, the sting of capital gains uh, and i want to come back to that in just a second but chassis i have a question for you um and you know because rich is really talking about you know in part why the democrats might oppose uh, progressive taxation. We know largely why state Republicans say they do, which is that they say, hey, we got enough money. Why move things around? And I'll ask you, how do you think we effectively relay the message that it, this is not about uh, having enough funds? This is about fairness. How do we get that, that message across? I mean, we take a stand, we say it plainly, which is that our tax codes reflect our values and that here in Washington state, we should be standing up for the working poor. Um, you know, President Biden has a saying that, um, you know, if you want to know what somebody, uh, what someone's values are, you know, look at their budget, like look at how they um, account and move money around. And the state should be standing up for something more than what they are right now. Yeah, 100 percent agreed on that. Um, you know, Rich, I'll just ask you this. We have been watching the Democrats have a comfortable majority in the last few sessions and still not pass any meaningful tax reform. And a lot of people have some high hopes for a few pieces of legislation this year, first and foremost of which, as I was hinting at earlier, is the capital gains tax. So this is Senate Bill 5096. This is Senator June Robinson's bill. 
Um, you were touching on it a little bit earlier, but can you just flesh it out a little bit more? What is uh, capital gains tax? How does it work? Who gets impacted? Yeah, it's uh, so it's a tax on the exchange of high value assets. Uh, so stuff like stocks and bonds, uh, before it was written out of the bill, stuff like your third home, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, and so this the the tax would impose uh, or this version of the tax would impose a, a 7% uh, tax on the profits of, let's say, the sale of a stock over $250,000. So you could cash in on your stocks, you know, um, and whatever that means. And <laughs> some pe- people do this all the time, it, 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 uh, um, uh, people tell me. Um, but you can cash in on your stocks. Uh, and you would get like, you know, let's say you cashed in on $400,000 of stocks. The state doesn't tax the first 250000 of that. So it's just a 7% tax on the rest of it. So you would hand over a few thousand bucks to cash in on a capital event that, and I cannot stress this enough, you did nothing to earn. No sweat equity. This is just, you got, you like, you that money that you're cashing in on made its own money. Like you weren't like wor- worked extra hours so that you could be cut to get this extra benefit. It just was in the air. And because of the way finance works, you get more of it. Like it sucks. It's crazy. Anyway, so to <laughs> finish the thought, uh, it, <laughs> um, it would hit all of 8,000 people in a state of 7.5 million. Uh, which is 0.1 or 0.2 percent of the population. Just to give you an idea of how much this bill has already been watered down, in 2019, the tax would have hit 42,000 people, and even that was a very low percentage. So we're just—it's just the cream of the crop. Literally, the most expensive transactions that you can imagine, and that I have to imagine because I've never felt the sting of the, paying this kind of tax. But that—that's what it would do. Yeah. I should, I should say, you know, not to, not to only talk about the, you know, the stick here, but the, um, uh, the money, it would raise about a billion dollars over two years. Uh, yeah. And the money would go uh, into uh, education uh, uh, trust fund account um, and, and pay for child care. Uh, a lot of the, the Senate uh, Dems who are supporting this bill say, and then the rest would go into a, like a, a tax fairness account that they would use to kind of lower, um, more aggressive taxes uh, on aggregate over the years. So they would maybe lower the property tax, or maybe it would go into a working family's tax credit, which I would, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's where. The- Okay. All right. Well, yeah. So, I mean, you and Shasti and I, to an extent, have all laid out the reasons why, you know, this is a difficult thing to pass. Uh, in fact, this has uh, been pushed for the last eight sessions. This is the first time that it has been voted out of committee. And I think you're getting at some of the reasons as to why, because it's been watered down significantly. But Shasti, I'll just ask you as an observer, are you hopeful that maybe this thing might pass this time around? I'm not hearing good things. <laughs> So, <laughs> um, I want to be hopeful. Yeah, I really want to be hopeful, but I, I'm not, I'm not hearing that it's likely that it is going to go as far as we would like it to. Well, we also just kind of going down the other uh, few bills that we have uh, in consideration here. We have our own wealth tax bill, as I mentioned, uh, and that dropped well before Senator Warren's bill because that's how we roll. 
here in Washington. This is uh, Noel Frame's wealth tax bill. This is 1406. This would impose a 1% tax on individuals with a net worth of $1 billion or more. Uh, this is slated to bring in an, ex- an estimated $2.25 billion in 2023 and $2.5 billion in 2024. Um, Rich, I'm just going to ask you, it is hard to imagine what the arguments against this could possibly be. The vast majority of Republicans' uh, constituents are not billionaires. Uh, so, But what are they saying in opposition to this? Well, you know, I, th- their main thing is you're going to chase away the billionaires who are, of course, the job creators. Uh, and uh, if you do that, then the entire state economy will collapse or, you know, whatever. Uh, but yeah, so their, their argument is that the, the, the billionaires will run away. The evidence suggests that that's probably not the case. You know, there's not like every, you know, people who have looked into this, uh, you know, suggest that uh, tax, relative tax burdens in states is not the thing that's going to make a billionaire move from one place to another. They are people too. And, you know, like certain lakes and (laughs) they want to be close to the uh, industries that they have uh, uh, built uh, using, you know, uh, exploited labor, et cetera. Uh, and so, you know, that's their main, uh, that's their, that's their main objection. And I don't know. I just, I don't know why they have, they, it's like, they don't learn. Washington state gave Boeing the biggest tax cut, the tax break in the history of the United States, $6.8 billion. And then they left. Right. I mean, the truth is these people and their companies and their jobs will go wherever they want to, and they will put up a big fight against taxes that they don't want to pay because it's simply cheaper to do that than to pay the tax. Like, like that, that's is the simple calculus, you know, it's not, it's not particularly difficult to understand. And of course, um, you know, Republicans will jump all over that and, uh, and, just try to scare people by saying that jobs will go away, despite the fact that there's not much evidence that it would happen. Yeah. I mean, there are other states, as you say, that have income tax and capital gains and billionaires live there as well. And also, I'm just going to put this out there. And this is a dark thought. I think Boeing is having uh, some karmic retribution. I, I really do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so Shasti, you know, and you, you know, uh, Representative Frame, there is so much to like about this wealth tax bill. What are your thoughts on it? I mean, I think, you know, as Rich was saying, there's been so many iterations the last couple of years of something like this. And I think that it's it's one of the best that we've it's the best version that we've had. And I think Representative Frame has been able to frame it in a really well sort of way that um, uh where it's sort of like it does, it, it catches the billionaires in some ways, but it also sort of doesn't freak them out too much. Although any little thing seems to panic that, you know, the, the 8,000 people that'll, that'll be impacted by it. Um, I think, you know, I mean, the new, the newer uh, legislators that are in there, I think they're, they were elected and committed to, to taking action on this. I think the hard part is that there are a number of incumbents, even on the Democratic side, that, like Rich was saying, they're looking at what happens after they leave and they're thinking about where do they end up what jobs are they going to end up with and that is that is what is the impediment it's not the bill itself is strong and it's solid and it'll do not all that needs to be done but it'll do a lot of it it is a political calculus that is happening with the players in you know in the state legislature 
that I think that are blocking it. I also think ego is playing a big part of it because there are people who don't want Representative Frame, who is a younger woman, to get the credit for something like this. They would rather, you know, and they're looking at their next races in the next two years and they're saying, you know, I I don't want to piss off my billionaire friends, which they don't really have any, but they think that they do. And, you know, and then they don't, they, they want to be able to take credit for things. And I think that's actually probably the biggest problem. Wow. Um, that's depressing, <laughs> but really, I'm sure incredibly accurate. Um, Rich, I, I want to talk also just really briefly touch on the estate tax. This is Representative Tina Orwall's um, bill. This is 1465. It's pretty opaque and it's a real long shot. So but I would love for you to just kind of tell people, give us a, a rough outline of, of, of what this does. Can I, before I answer that, can I uh, comment on something Shasti said? Please do. I just want to highlight. It, the, why is personal relationships um, with uh, uh, corporations such a, um, a problem <laughs> in, uh, in, the, in our state legislature? Because unlike what Republicans would like you to believe, that you know we don't do a lot of big government stuff here in Washington. People were dunking on Texas and their legislature for only meeting six months twice a year, and like and using that as evidence that like you know they don't do. That's how much they they hate government uh, there. We meet four months one year and two months the next year. We meet as many as often as Texas legislature does you know so it's like if we the the big thing that nobody wants to hear is that we actually have to make the legislature a job and we have to pay people you know enough money to do it well and so we can expand the different kinds of people in there so we can you know uh, move on legislation that actually uh touches people uh, in, in their day-to-day lives and Shasi, did you want to jump in and i was say- just gonna jump in yeah i was just gonna jump in and say too of like who then is able to have a job like that you know, like the type of folks who can run where they can take only four months off from another type of job or other types of responsibilities. And, you know, they make like $40,000, basically a little more than that, but like in that role. And most of the people who get drawn into that, they're, they're lawyers or they're real estate or they're other type, you know. And so it's really hard if you are a working person who wants to help your community and you can't really afford to be able to like step away from a job or family responsibilities to go and do that for a short period. I mean, that I am a huge proponent of all year round. So because it should be a full time job, that should be what they're committed to doing. And I think that that is also a big problem that we hear have here in Washington state. I have talked off the record with uh, three uh, members of the legislature about this very thing, and they all say exactly what you say. Um, uh, You know, it's it's ironic that a citizen legislature is 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 what it's supposed to be. uh, And ultimately, it doesn't really wind up being that in practice. And so uh, speaking of wealth um, uh, impacting uh, the way that our legislature does business, um, let's do talk briefly about the estate tax, uh, Rich. And and like I said, I don't want to spend too much time on it because it doesn't really have a lot. It doesn't have much of a shot this year, but I think people deserve to know about it. So can you just tell us briefly what Tina Orwell's estate tax does? Yes. Um, yeah, the estate tax, uh, it, well, when a rich person dies, uh, instead of the state taking uh, their wealth and redistributing it to the society that created the conditions to make that wealth possible, we just take a little tax on their right to transfer um, that, that, uh, that wealth or that estate um, 
to whoever they want. Um, and the bill would uh, ultimately make it uh, a little bit more of a pro progressive tax. So it would raise the bottom threshold for having to pay the tax in the first place to $2.5 million. So all of us who are not passing along $2.5 million to somebody would not have to pay this tax. Uh, it would also make the sweeten the pot for uh, people in this middle uh, estate tax range. So uh, it would lower the amount of tax that they would have to pay. And it would also, on the high end, increase the, um, the, the, the highest uh, uh, bracket or margin uh, that the tax would hit. So it would basically just raise taxes a little bit on the most expensive estate and lower them for everybody else. All right. And then, yeah, let's do talk about Representative Milentai's working family tax credit. This is HB 1297, also known as the recovery rebate. And this had a 25 to 8 vote in the House Appropriations Committee, a pretty strongly bipartisan vote. Do you feel like there's momentum for this bill? Yeah, I, I think that, um, uh, you know, it's been a, a well, <laughs> the law passed in, you know, I think, what was it, 2008 originally? We've just never funded it. And so this bill would, would fund it. Uh, it's got bipartisan support. So I, I think that that, that um, uh, bodes well. I haven't asked people about it recently because I thought it was fine. So I might be, uh, I might be off here on my, uh, on my, on my estimates. But it, it seems like if Republicans like it and Democrats like it, then it'll go through. Shasti, I'll just let you button this whole thing by asking you um, kind of a larger question, which is we know that a lot of the oxygen tends to get taken up by issues at the national level. And, you know, we started there and we started there for a reason. But I think it's a good reminder to uh, for, for people to remember why it's so important to focus on these bills at right here at home. What, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, local issues are where, you know, when you're closest to the problem, you're closest to the solution. And so these are these are these are the decisions that are going to make an impact in our lives right here in Washington state right away. And we have our best chance of being able to actually move the needle. It is much harder to try to wrangle, you know, 435 people across the nation in, in D.C. And they have there's a lot of other players. There's a lot more money being spent into trying to influence. Um, and so there's a real chance here to actually, like, get these things done and then to be a model for what works uh, for the rest of the country. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. So um, with that in mind. I do have some calls to action because we have talked about what uh, we as progressive activists can do, and particularly indivisible members. Um, so let's talk about uh, the action on the Working Family Tax Credit, HB 1297. This is scheduled to get a vote in the House on Sunday, March 7th. That is coming right up. So uh, email or call your representative in support of 1297. The wealth tax, HB 1406, is currently in the House Finance Committee. Uh, so the action there is to, con is to contact the chair, which of course, is Noelle Frame. Uh, and just let her know that you support it. She's the author. So obviously she doesn't need any pushing there, but it just helps her to know that there's a lot of public support around the bill. And then finally, the capital gains tax, SB 5096. You got to jump on this one right now today. Uh, let your senator know that you want him or her to vote for it when it comes up for a floor vote, uh, floor vote tomorrow, March 6th. And again, all this is going to be in the show notes and also at indivisiblepodcast.org. And that will do it for this week. Rich, as always, thanks, man. Thanks, uh, Stefan and uh, Shasti. For Shasti Conrad and Will Casey, I am Stefan Cox, and we will see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. 
The website for the show is indivisiblepodcast.org, and the email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com, and you can check us out on Twitter at IndivisiblePod. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc., and is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Special thanks to Lori Kowal, and as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.